parler, une caresse pour décoller. Si tu veux te réchauffer, faut savoir bien piguiner. C'est bon pour le moral, c'est bon pour le moral, c'est bon pour le moral, c'est bon pour le moral. Good morning from Whiskers Radio 92.1, broadcasting from Koto East in the Gambia. It's 8 a.m. in this country, and I am Ajijogab Khan. Welcome to Coffee Time with Peter Gomez, brought to you in association with OIC Gambia and Banjul Sipiat Company Limited. The Gambia may be the smallest country in Africa, but it will host the second largest gathering of world leaders in 2022 to successfully host the OIC Summit. The government of the Gambia set up OIC Gambia to mobilize resources for the implementation of key development and infrastructure projects on a scale never seen before. 20 new roads will be constructed across the country and the Bertel Harding Highway will be expanded into a dual carriage highway of two lanes on each side from the airport to Sting Corner. All people in the Gambia deserve clean water and a constant flow of electricity. Therefore, an entirely new water system will be constructed, including new transmission and distribution networks to meet the increasing demand. In order to provide a more reliable supply of electricity, the OIC Gambia project will replace and double the capacity of the Nawak transformers and overhead electric cables. We will equip the police with modern apparatus and technical training in an effort to keep the streets of the Gambia safe. OIC Gambia, building today for a better tomorrow. Shipyard Company Limited, a subsidiary of the Gambia Ports Authority, delivering excellent services to marine and industrial servicing. Our services also include welding and carpentry. Our welding works includes fabrication of tanks for petrol stations, marine buoys, roof trusses, buckler proofs, steel gates, and many more. A carpentry workshop provides office furniture, such as filing cabinets of all sizes, junior executive decks, household furniture, bedroom sets, kitchen sets, roofing works, school furniture, and many more. With Banjul Shipyard Company Limited, we get it done for you, so worry no more. For more information, call 997-7271 or 790-6256. February the 15th, 2021 is today's date, marking the 56th birthday of our third president, His Excellency Adama Barrow. Happy birthday, Your Excellency. After that quick mention, here are today's Coffee Time headlines. The doctor leading the sequencing of the coronavirus in the Gambia has spoken of a worrying trend emerging in the country's COVID-19 situation. A physician on the front line of the Gambia's containment effort against the virus warns that elderly people are dying at an unusual rate and not all of them as a result of old age. The chairman of the National Assembly Committee on Health has defended its decision to put doctors and PhD holders in the Ministry of Health among the best-paid workers in the country. The UK has reached a significant milestone in its vaccine rollout, and Republican recrimination has begun following the acquittal of former U.S. President Trump. Stay tuned for the newspaper headlines right after this. The ECOWAS Brown Card Scheme is an extension of domestic motor third-party liability insurance covers within the ECOWAS sub-region. 
The scheme was established by the Protocol on Free Movement of Goods and Persons across ECOWAS national boundaries to facilitate economic integration. Each ECOWAS member state therefore has a national office coordinating its activities. So in the event of an accident with another ECOWAS motorist, immediately contact the National Bureau of the country where the accident occurs. You are guaranteed immediate assistance and payment of any civil liability claim arising from the accident. The contact details of all national bureaus are at the back of the ECOWAS bound card certificate. For more information, please contact National Bureau ECOWAS bound card insurance scheme at 10 C Nelson Mandela Street, Banjul, or telephone 4201637-707-1004 or email info at echoesboundcard.gm or samsehu at msn.com. The point leads the way in this paper review. These are the headlines on its front cover. GTU blames police for accidents. VP denies deportation agreement with Swiss. NAWEC 2019 water revenue is over 387 million and top GPA and GRA officials visit possible new depot in Banjul. And for the Monday editorial, the point announces that the Gambia clocks 56 on Thursday. The voice front page carries these headlines among others. Imam Fati condemns ban on FGM. Lawmakers visit more disaster hotspots. Inferno ravages six houses in Futi village, and Pura finally presents report to National Assembly. On the front of Foroya, we read, Justice Minister Jalo replies to petition seeking discontinuance of case against NIA 9, British lawyer to replace ICC prosecutor Fatou Bensouda in June, NHRC urges government to expedite governance reform initiative, and Gambia and Cuba sign new sport cooperation agreement. We end with the standard, which says this on its front cover. Three deaths and 112 corona cases reported. NPP's Sankare alleges Dabo might be funding this standard. Operation No Illegal Voting denounces IEC. Barrow urges military to be patient. Suku to clear speculations today and losing IEC bidders threaten action. And with that, from the standard, we end this front page review. Thanks to the owners and editors of The Voice, Foroya, The Point, and The Standard. For over 50 years, the Gambia Chamber of Commerce and Industry has been the voice of business in the Gambia. Always happy to be at the heart of trade facilitation for Gambian entrepreneurs. On January 1st, 2021, trading under the Africa Continental Free Trade Area formally began. The AFCFTA lowers trade barriers and promotes regional economic integration. The GCCI is pleased to inform local businesses, entrepreneurs and our 2.2 million population that they can all benefit from the AFCFTA's trade facilitation. As the approved national competent authority for the issuance and management of the AFCFTA Rules of Origin Certificate, the GCCI will give free guidance to every Gambian business, entrepreneur and individual who needs it. For more information and regular updates on the AFCFTA, visit GCCI at Kerjula Bijilo or www.gcci.gm. February the 15th is the birth anniversary of the Gambia's third president, according to an interview he gave ahead of his historic inauguration. 
and today His Excellency Adam Abaro turns 56. From all of us here at Coffee Time with Peter Gomez and West Coast Radio in general, a very happy birthday to you, Mr. President, today and many years ahead. The doctor leading the domestic charge against COVID-19 through DNA sequencing says a worrying trend is emerging in the Gambia. Dr. Abdul Karim Sise, who now divides his time between his genomic sequencing unit at the MRC and the government-run public health lab at KOTU, spoke to West Coast Radio as new figures emerge, showing that from February the 8th to the 11th, a total of 112 new cases were registered with three COVID-19 deaths, an average of over 25 infections a day. We were having one, between one and five a day. We are now looking at um, around 20 on average a day. So that's, um, that's a trend. And actually, it's a worrying trend. For me, always, it's always a worrying trend because the reflection of the true positive, I said that to Peter the last time we spoke, is that it's very difficult to reflect because we don't do mass screening and um, people are very reluctant to get their COVID testing done. So really, lots of the numbers that we're picking are travelers, people who want to move around, and then they get picked up as positive. So that's not a true reflection of the positive in the country, um, I think. um, But even with that, the numbers are increasing. So um, that's worrying. Okay, but in your own analysis, Doctor, what do you think perhaps is responsible for the surge in number? Well, I think that we know that um, um, the the way the country operates and where we are, so if there's an increase in Senegal, we will get it um, in Gambia. That's a natural way. If there's an increase in other African countries, we will get it in Gambia naturally. And again, similarly, that people um, that are coming from other countries Will, um, will bring um, COVID in because people are traveling or we will travel out and we come back, we come back with COVID. I mean, actually, I come back from Senegal. I try to isolate myself from people, even though I came back with a negative result. I got tested two days ago and I came back with it. But I keep away from people because um, it takes five days for you to have a symptom. So I think that's the, that's the reality of it. I was actually quite surprised compared to here that Senegal has had uh, a lockdown, um, not lockdown, but curfew. So nine o'clock, um, nobody goes out. Nobody, absolutely zero. So I was working late, and and if I wasn't, if we didn't have an MLT um, um, car that I was running out with, I would have been kicked out of the car and arrested. So I mean, so that's that's the reality of it. That people are still mixing, people are picking infection from other people, and you could only catch the virus from somebody else. That's, um, so uh, while we are not taking the, the precaution that we take about social distance, mask gathering, um, wearing face masks, we would always keep getting infection. Doctor, uh, people were so worried when they heard that Gambia has registered the uh, new strain of the virus. But it seems now, I mean, that has come down. Should we still be worried about this? So so surveillance um, is the key. So what I was doing in Senegal, in fact, was that I I, they brought some sample over and I am one of the sample at the UK strain. It was very big news in Senegal. We've already now we've got seven. uh, We've detected seven in Gambia. We had one in Senegal. It was big news. Even when I was there, 
it was TV crew coming around saying you did the help the lab to, to find out that. I've also, we've just done some for Guinea-Bissau. They had many of those UK strains. So if it's circulating in, and they had many of UK strains, and what is even worrying is that they also, we've not detected the South African strain, but they have the South African strain. So if you think about our borders, if they have South African strain in our bordering countries, it's only a matter of time we will get it. And that's really the, the, the essence of it. So if it's around us, once we're doing surveillance, which we're doing very actively, I think we are actually doing really well in Gambia in terms of sequencing and seeing what strains are circulating in Gambia. While we're doing that, um, I said we're on seven now. I mean, that could go up and it might take over the... So it hasn't taken over the... The, the highest number of the UK strain in Gambia, but it's a possibility because it's, that's what happened. You know, when you have a strain that's more transmissible, then the ones that's less transmissible just gets um, um, dampened down and you see more of the, 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 the more transmissible type. That was Dr. Abdul Karim Sisi, head of the genomics unit at the MRC. Meanwhile, another doctor warning against the ravages of the virus in the country points to an unusual mortality rate of the elderly and suggests that not all the deaths can be put down to old age. Dr. Musa Marina spoke as Gambian politicians and Senegalese musicians continue to take advantage of lax COVID-19 rules to assemble crowds. When people are allowed to gather in a place, we are likely to have higher number of cases. And this has been proven so many occasions, whether it's... Uh, musical jamboree, whether it's political rallies, whether it's our usual naming ceremonies, or whether we are not following the, pre- uh, the precautions, the preventive precautions like wearing face masks, washing on our hands. And we have seen recently that cases have increased. Uh, three days ago we had about how many? 65 cases. And recently we have had about, you know, also registering uh, Ebola. And you know what Ebola does. Ebola is similar to COVID. It is transmitted by the movement of people from one place to another. It's transmitted from one person to another. And Ebola is as, as lethal as COVID. And uh, it has killed three people in, in, in Guinea. And one of them was, was a nurse. So we as healthcare providers are always worried when we hear some of these things. And I know that these musicians will not come here if Gambians have not invited them. Gambians have allowed them, from the level of the authority to the level of the individuals who are inviting them, to organize these shows. So for us, um, it, is, it, is, it is disheartening to see these things happening. Our neighboring countries have locked down, they have done their things, and now that they've seen that Gambia is open, so they will take opportunity. Human being naturally takes opportunity of situations. So this is the situation we found ourselves in, and we are very worried uh, because we are always the frontliners. So, so given, given the COVID-19 situation in the country and, of course, the, the concerns raised by you, the resident doctors, do you think or do you still hold the view that we have perhaps failed as a country in educating our population about the dangers of the virus? I think the, the population is aware. But you cannot change people's attitude about things or their perceptions. People believe that in reality COVID is not true. Many people, when you ask them, they will see I have not seen a COVID patient. And uh, they've seen that because recently we've seen the number of people dying, especially the elderly people. A lot of our elders have died recently, some of them very prominent in society. 
But people take it, you know, Gambia, we are all, we are all religious. We are Christians or Muslims. So when somebody dies, people just take it, maybe it's old age. He died of old age. And we know that COVID kills a lot of elderly people. This is what happened in the West. We've seen Western people because they have a lot of elderly people. Their mortality was very high. In the Gambia, on the other, on the other way around, we have a lot of young people. Well, these, these young people are the vectors, I would say, in quote. If they are not really vectors, because it's a virus, you cannot call it vector. But we carry these diseases from wherever we get them to our, to our elderly people at, at, at our houses. And we are literally killing these elderly people. So unless we believe, unless we, each of us feels that we are responsible, uh, then, then we will not go anywhere. So the government will have to step in. Individuals also will have to step in. We all have to take up our responsibility. That I'm responsible, I'm responsible for myself and my family. And if I do anything that goes against that, I'm risking the life of my family members, including my parents. So you could be the one who have literally killed your parents without realizing that because of your, your negligence or not following the precautions, you have literally carried the, the virus from wherever you are, whether it's a political rally or it's a stadium or in a, during a musical jamboree. You've carried this virus. You went to enjoy yourself. You came home and literally killed your parents or your grandparents or whoever has comorbidities like diabetes and hypertension. Unless we take responsibility as individuals, not only doctors, journalists, everybody else has a role to play. We still have to continue talking to our people. So, so about the, the precautionary measures, you know, when, when first the, the COVID outbreak came in March, people were taking the, the measures so seriously. But now that the second wave has hit the country, it seems we are somehow letting that down. So do, do you think um, if the trend continues, the, the second wave will be more severe? Of course, we've seen that it's severe in other countries, so we are not really an exception, even if it is not going to be at the level of other countries. So it's going to be severe than what we have seen before, and this has been stated. In the past, we never had 65 cases, positive cases. Now we have 65 positive cases, and now literally every day we have somebody who dies. One or two people have died, or they've, they've already died without knowing what causes death, or when they are tested, they found out that they, they had COVID. So literally everything is happening. That was Dr. Musa Marina, president of the Gambian Association of Resident Doctors. There is more to come on doctors and health right after this. ECOWAS Brown Card Insurance Scheme allows motorists to travel across ECOWAS countries with the guarantee that third-party accident victims are compensated. Under the directive of the Central Bank of the Gambia, National Bureau has started implementation of the automatic issuance of ECOWAS Brown Card Certificate to all motorists taking the local third-party motor insurance policy at a cost of not more than 325 dollars. This is an ECOWAS agreement signed by the authorities of ECOWAS heads of states. The rationale is that we are in an ECOWAS space where even if you don't travel outside your country, foreign motorists may enter your country and cause an accident which may affect you. For more info, contact Gambia National Bureau ECOWAS Brown Insurance Scheme at 10 C Nelson Mandela Street, Banjul. Or telephone 4201637-707104-3077781. Or email info at ECOWASBrownCard.gm or samsehu at msn.com. As the voice of business in the Gambia for over 50 years, the Gambia Chamber of Commerce and Industry is always at the heart of trade facilitation for Gambian entrepreneurs in partnership with the Ministry of Trade and other agencies. 
On January 1, 2021, the Africa Continental Free Trade Area, also known as AFCFTA, entered into force, creating one of the largest free trade areas in the world with over 1.2 billion people and a combined GDP of $3.4 trillion. The Gambia can make the most out of the AFCFTA to unlock economic potential through the free movement of people, goods and services, the elimination of tariffs on 90% of African goods, and the creation of a single custom union to mainstream trade and deepen African economic integration. For more information and regular updates on the AFCFTA, visit GCCI at Kerjula Bijilo or www.gcci.gm. I am Aji Khan coming to you live on West Coast Radio 92.1 on Monday, the 15th of February 2021. The chairman of the National Assembly Select Committee on Health has supported government's decision to phenomenally increase the allowances and perks of doctors and PhD holders working in the public health sector. Speaking exclusively to this program's Banna Sabali, Honorable Usman Silla avoided quoting figures, but it is believed that under the new wage structure, a doctor or PhD holder serving in the Ministry of Health will be paid allowances running to over $100,000 per month on top of their salary. During the budget sessions for the 2021 budget for financial year, uh, the Minister of Health uh, came up with proposals, and uh, among the proposals, uh, that is for the increment of the budget outlay for the ministry, was allowances for doctors. And then it was a package that came before us and as a, as a National Assembly. And as a Committee on Health, uh, we are told that uh, the country needs doctors, it needs doctors to be posted out in the countryside, and as a result, they need motivation. That the argument was even that the the lawyers, the counsels at the Ministry of Justice, are also benefiting from allowances. So as doctors, as last savers, they too ought to benefit from allowances. And for us, you know, the population has been crying out uh, for doctors at facilities in the in, in rural Gambia. So this was the reason why the committee well decided to push it through, support the package for the increment of allowances for, for doctors. And uh, this, this was passed, uh, it was put before the whole National Assembly, and then it was approved. In fact, uh, the budget for the National Assembly, for the health uh, sector, well, in the 2020 uh, budget was uh, around 1.5 billion, but we were able to get an increment of 1.6 billion this time around for 2021. So this is what had happened. Uh, it was the National Assembly that, that, that approved the increment as part of the increment of the outlay for the Ministry of Health oh, okay. from $1.5 billion to $1.6 for the year 2021. This is what has happened. Okay. So, so Honorable, do, does this mean that it is only for doctors? It doesn't include nurses and others? Well, uh, no, it's only for doctors. But, you know, it's a process. Uh, for me, I believe, you know, I have been talking about this personally. This is not uh, as a member of the Health Commission, but as an Assembly member, I have been clamoring for salary increment for across the board. And then it's not only going to be across the board, but uh, those at the lower tiers, they must be increased to a level where you cannot have this wide disparity of salary disparity. As somebody being paid $16,000, $10,000, and one being paid $2,000, that doesn't make sense. 
So basic salary, we have to have a basic salary that is decent for all, all, all workers of, of this, of, 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 in the civil service. And in fact, across the board, public service as well. So I believe that this is just the beginning. Uh, I believe healthcare workers, all civil servants, this are salary increment. And then we are hoping that uh, by the next time round, they're going to consider other, 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 other orders in the, in the health, 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 health service delivery system. And that is other healthcare workers that are not uh, doctors, nurses, they deserve uh, allowances. Even the orderlies and the cleaners at the hospitals, they are also contributing to the saving of lives. That was Honorable Usman Sela, Chairman of the National Assembly Select Committee on Health, defending the decision to increase the allowances paid to doctors and PhD holders serving under the Ministry of Health. The British COVID-19 vaccination program is powering ahead with the government reaching its target of having 15 million people receiving at least one dose. The ABC's Samantha Hawley reports. Just going to be on December the 8th, 90-year-old British woman Margaret Keenan became the first person in the world to receive a COVID-19 vaccine. Boris Johnson went on to promise to have 15 million people vaccinated by the middle of February. Now he's done it. Today we have reached a significant milestone in the United Kingdom's national vaccination programme. For a nation with the worst death toll in Europe and a litany of missteps since the start of the pandemic, it's a significant moment. In the following two months, this country has achieved an extraordinary feat, administering a total of 15 million jabs into the arms of some of the most vulnerable people in the country. The UK has now given at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine to 22% of the population. Significantly, just 1% of people offered the jab are turning it down. They've been delivered by the most extraordinary army of vaccinators who have jabbed like there's no tomorrow. Doctors and nurses, retired healthcare workers who've returned to the fray and supported by organisers and volunteers, marshals, guided by the leadership of the NHS and supported by the great strategic logistical nous of the British Army. The UK, the worst pandemic performer in Europe, is leading the vaccination rollout. France, for instance, has so far vaccinated less than 4% of its population, while Germany and Italy have administered a first dose to less than 5%. With the infection rate finally falling... Boris Johnson is under pressure to start lifting the hard national lockdown. But it'll be done with caution, with schools to be the first to reopen. The British Foreign Secretary is Dominic Raab. On the 8th of March, we are aiming, we are hoping to get schools back. The precise details, we need to just make sure we set out once we've evaluated all of that evidence. The scientists are cautious, but agree good progress has been made. Under the best-case scenario, the pubs will start to serve a pint once again in April. By the end of that month, the British government hopes all people over 50 will have been inoculated. That was Samantha Hawley reporting. And live on West Coast Radio 92.1, I am Ajijogab Khan. Coffee Time with Peter Gomez is brought to you in association with Banjul Sipiad Company Limited and OIC Gambia. If you need services of machine shop, 
Worry no more. Banjul Shipyard Company Limited, a subsidiary of the Gambia Ports Authority, delivering excellent services to marine and industrial servicing. We have sofas grinding for top cylinder heads, threading of pipes, shafts and nuts, machining of axle for trucks, regrooving of pistons, pressing works, drilling works, wheel drum and dig scheming. Our electrical workshop does repair and servicing of electronic equipment, wiring of buildings, electrical installation works and many more. Banjul Shipyard Company Limited, we are your solution to marine and industrial services. For more information, call 997-7271 or 790-6256. Building the largest international conference center in the region, a five-star hotel with state-of-the-art facilities, first-class mobility services, and improving the VVIP experience at the Banjul International Airport, OIC Gambia will position the Gambia as the leading conference destination in West Africa. With our partners in the tourism sector, we will reinforce the preeminent position of our nation, the Smiling Coast, as a go-to destination. The OIC Gambia will create strategic partnerships that calls for the involvement of local talent and businesses as a matter of requirement. In short, OIC Gambia projects will create jobs, boost commerce, accelerate growth, improve the urban outlook and lifestyles of many families across the Gambia. So let's support the OIC Gambia as it prepares us for one of the biggest global events. OIC Gambia, building today for a better tomorrow. On now to more international news. Donald Trump's second impeachment trial may be over, but recriminations after the final vote to acquit the former president are only just beginning. Seven Republicans who broke ranks to vote to convict Mr. Trump are now being censured by their own party. The ABC's Matthew Doran reports. There are 100 members of the U.S. Senate, and getting two-thirds to agree to anything, let alone finding a former president guilty of high crimes and misdemeanours, was always going to be difficult. Democrat impeachment manager Stacey Plaskett telling CNN the final vote of 57 to 43 in favour of convicting Donald Trump brings with it mixed emotions. Heartbreaking, but thankfully it was bipartisan, the greatest majority voting uh, to convict a president as well as the American people seeing truly who Donald Trump was. Louisiana Republican Senator Bill Cassidy was one of the breakaways who voted to convict Donald Trump. For Senator Cassidy, the evidence presented at the trial was crystal clear, telling ABC America the former president's relentless campaign, spouting unfounded claims about the election being rigged against him, fueled the violent protesters who smashed their way into the US Capitol. And when they went into the Capitol, it was clear that he wished that lawmakers be intimidated. And even after he knew there was violence taking place, he continued to basically sanction the mob being there. And not until later did he actually ask them to leave. All of that points to a motive and a method, and that is wrong. He should be held accountable. Hours after Senator Cassidy's decision, the Louisiana Republican Party voted unanimously to censure him. Two other Republicans who voted to convict, Pennsylvania's Pat Toomey and North Carolina's Richard Burr, have also been condemned. Donald Trump still wields considerable influence within the Republican Party, although Bill Cassidy hopes the impeachment trial will change that. I think as force wanes, the Republican Party is more than just one person. 
The most senior Republican, Mitch McConnell, voted to acquit Donald Trump, even though he believed the former president was totally responsible for what happened on the day of the riot. Senator McConnell's been accused of hedging his bets, slamming Donald Trump without having the courage to sanction him. Trump loyalist Lindsey Graham has told Fox News it could cause problems for Senator McConnell personally, as well as for party unity. I think Senator McConnell's speech, he got a load off his chest, obviously, but unfortunately he put a load on the back of Republicans. Senator Graham says Republican candidates will be asked where their loyalties lie ahead of future elections. He spoke to Donald Trump after the acquittal, arguing there's still room for him in the GOP. He's ready to move on and rebuild the Republican Party. He's excited about 2022. Lead Democrat impeachment manager Jamie Raskin questioned how Republicans could continue backing Donald Trump in an interview with NBC, given the overwhelming evidence that he's unfit for office. You know, there's no reasoning with people who basically are, you know, acting like members of a religious cult. Placing their faith in the first president in U.S. history to be impeached and acquitted by Congress twice. That was Matthew Doran in Washington. A documentary program in Australia investigates the extent of Russia's reach into Australia, including by a billionaire oligarch who is one of Putin's closest allies. And a leading anti-corruption organization has expressed alarm over the Australian government allowing him to do business in Canberra. The ABC's Sean Nichols reports. In central Sydney last month, dozens of Russian Australians gathered to protest the jailing of Russian opposition figure Alexei Navalny by Vladimir Putin's regime. Navalny was jailed not long after he survived a poisoning attempt by Russian government agents, placing further international pressure on Putin and his regime. Four Corners has been investigating Russia's reach into Australia, including by one of the Russian president's closest allies, who has a significant investment in Australia. His name is Oleg Deripaska, a billionaire who notoriously made his fortune in the so-called aluminium wars of the 1990s. Mark Galliotti is an associate of the Royal United Services Institute, a London-based security think tank. It was a time of extraordinary notoriety of gangsters being used as hitmen as part of, of business disputes and so forth. Deripaska was not, shall we say, regarded as the dirtiest of those. But nonetheless, that's the environment in which he was operating. We have allegations of moving dirty money and essentially laundering it through this sector. Now, it's important to stress, these have not been proven in a court of law. In 2018, following allegations of Russian meddling in its elections, the United States hit Oleg Deripaska and his aluminium company Rusal with financial sanctions due to his ties to Vladimir Putin. Oleg Deripaska has a significant investment in Australia. The aluminium company in which he has a large shareholding, Rusal, owns 20% of Australian business Queensland Alumina Limited. His interests here were used as part of the Russian billionaire's efforts to overturn US sanctions on Rusal. Four Corners has seen documents confirming he hired lobbyists who targeted the then-Australian ambassador to Washington, Joe Hockey, to pressure him to support the lifting of the sanctions. Mr Hockey insists he has no recollection of this and would not have acted on it. But Oleg Deripaska's activities have anti-corruption campaigners sounding the alarm. No individual or company that 
is sanctioned, as is the case with Mr Deripaska, there are personal sanctions against him, should be allowed to do business in Australia. And equally, no individual or company that is accused of serious crime, corruption, money laundering and misconduct should be able to conduct business in Australia. Serena Lillywhite is the Chief Executive of Transparency International Australia. She believes the case highlights a lack of rigour in Australia's approach to determining who is fit to do business here. It's certainly an area where Australia can improve its corporate governance, its corporate oversight, to ensure that we have investment in Australia by individuals that are fit and proper to be doing business in Australia. That's Sean Nichols' report. Gambia may be the smallest country in Africa, but it will host the second largest gathering of world leaders in 2022 to successfully host the OIC summit. The government of the Gambia set up OIC Gambia to mobilize resources for the implementation of key development and infrastructure projects on a scale never seen before. 20 new roads will be constructed across the country and the Bertel Harding Highway will be expanded into a dual carriage highway of two lanes on each side from the airport to Sting Corner. All people in the Gambia deserve clean water and a constant flow of electricity. Therefore, an entirely new water system will be constructed, including new transmission and distribution networks to meet the increasing demand. In order to provide a more reliable supply of electricity, the OIC Gambia project will replace and double the capacity of the Nawak transformers and overhead electric cables. We will equip the police with modern apparatus and technical training in an effort to keep the streets of the Gambia safe. OIC Gambia, building today for a better tomorrow. Banjul Shipyard Company Limited, a subsidiary of the Gambia Ports Authority. The Banjul Shipyard Company Limited specializes in marine services, such as shipbuilding, repairs and maintenance of vessels of all categories. We do marine diving services, production of diving oxygen for sale, inspection of underwater parts of vessels and many more. Our shipwright works include docking, restoring and maintaining vessels of different types. We are Banjul Shipyard Company Limited. We are your solution to marine and industrial services. For more information call 997-7271 or 790-6256. That ends this edition of Coffee Time with Peter Gomez, brought to you in association with OIC Gambia and Banjul Shipyard Company Limited. Peter will take over tomorrow for his weekly roundtable with the Information Minister and Government Spokesperson, accompanied as usual with the latest trends and developments in Gambian news and current affairs. Don't miss the program. I'll be back with you on Wednesday. Until then, on behalf of Banna Sabali and Alhaji Kuli, thank you for listening and have a good week.